Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. You know we're back for hockey season when we've done a lot of exciting things to improve the studio. For those who watch on YouTube, you'll notice we have uh, some cool different uh, equipment. We did some sound treatment in here, so hopefully it sounds a little bit better. Um, and with all that, having to fight Evan tooth and nail t- <laughs> to sit still and get ready for the episode, thats mm, we're back for hockey season. That's when you know the Wing Wheel podcast offseason is over. We are back to two episodes a week when Evan is firmly in Evan mode. I had a non-sponsored caffeinated beverage right before this. Oh, you're bouncing so off the wall. Who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> That's the, the duality of Evan. Is he going to be too tired and just complain about how tired he is the whole time? Or is he going to have a caffeine and basically just punch a hole through every wall in my house? No, my caffeine will kick in after this, after hockey. And when I go to bed at 1130 this evening. Mm. Brad? Today I will be playing the role of Evan as nope. half dead. We don't we don't need two Evans. No, no, he he's got the energy. He can be me. Got I'll, it. I'll keep the balance. Well, the studio updates are new. Your Winged Wheel podcast hosts are the same as always. Apologies for that, folks. Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, welcome to a new season. Here to talk all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL and beyond. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we're going to be talking to you about um, everything that's been happening in the world of Red Wings hockey. Preseason has started, you know, I mean, and wrapped for everything except for the games. Uh, so tr- prospect tournament is over, training camp. Uh, we just had the red and white game today. So we've saw, we've seen a lot of uh, really interesting stuff from Red Wings hopefuls, uh, Red Wings solid roster candidates, uh, and everything in between. Uh, Eisenman had a press conference, and we'll be talking a little bit about what he addressed there takeaways from the camps and everything uh, related. Uh, We have some NHL news, some massive contracts, uh, ripples and waves in the world of GMs, uh, retirements. Uh, Seems like everyone across the league has has gotten the memo. So uh, just a couple of notes here. Like we mentioned, this is a new set of equipment for us. So if the audio is weird, or sounds different, uh, or if you notice anything amiss, uh, apologies in advance as we get accustomed, and uh, don't feel afraid to shoot us a message if you notice anything. Uh, but hopefully it sounds good for you guys. The uh, The point of all this is to make it better for you, the listener, and your ears. Um, we're working on it, though. Right, Evan? Is that my stomach? Did you guys hear that? No. Oh, okay. So it was mine. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. good. Evan's uh, Evan's learning the difference between what he hears in the headphone and what he hears in the real world. There's going to be some weird ricochet sounds, I think. <laughs> this man's going to be in the upside down by the end of the episode. <laughs> uh, okay, but before we jump into the episode, I want to tell everyone, of course, about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. What that is, is an event uh, that the Winged Wheel Podcast runs in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings, and it's all in benefit of the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh What we do is we have a uh, pre-game live recording of the podcast featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, your Red Wings announcers. Uh, There is a meet and greet with the special guests uh, for as long as they are there. And unfortunately, us, the chumps of the podcast, there's going to be merch, giveaways, things like that. Uh, Previously, it was at the Little Caesars Arena uh, in the Budweiser Beer Garden, Garden, but you've all 
bought so many tickets and this event has grown so much that we are moving to a bigger space over at Hockey Town Cafe, which is just a stone's throw away. So uh, we're going to be there. It's going to be a lot of fun. There are going to be food and drinks. Uh, there's going to be food and drinks available for you to buy. And then we're all going to head down to the game where we're going to sit in winged wheel podcast specific sections. We have the entire gondola, which is an incredible view. Um, it's the bird's eye view that the announcers and the press box see. It's really, really unique. But if you're more into the lower bowl or upper bowl, those tickets are available too. Sit with fellow listeners of the Winged Wheel podcast. Uh, those tickets are available to you at DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP. Again, that's DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP or click the link in the description of this episode. Um, your tickets are discounted. So they have a special Winged Wheel podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket goes to benefit the Jamie Daniels Foundation. Uh, last year, you helped us raise over $32,000 for the Jamie Daniels Foundation uh, through Winged Wheel Podcast Nights and other Wings Money on the Board initiatives. So we're really looking forward to driving that up. And yeah, the, the turnout has been amazing and the amount of you who have already bought tickets has blown us away and the team, which is why we've had to uh, find a bigger space for all of us. So if you want your tickets, get them soon because they are going fast and hard. Did I miss anything, Evan? The auditor of my uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night ad read? I don't think so. Amazing. Okay. Training camp. Actually, let's start with uh, some big news for the Red Wings. It's been a topic that no one likes talking about for good reason. It's been beat to death and uh, mind-numbing and makes your hair fall out, so you're going to end up looking like me. Um, but there actually is movement on the front of whether Tyler Bertuzzi can play Canadian games next season. So last year, he wasn't able to travel into Canada um, due to vaccine uh, and border restrictions. So Canada has announced that... Once it's confirmed, I believe it's the end of this month in September, um, that they are no longer going to require uh, a vaccination check or anything of the sort to cross into the country. So there are still some things to work out in terms of coming back into the States because I haven't heard too much in terms of their rules changing. Generally, you'd think they would follow suit or they might be similar or, or in lockstep, but... Until that's confirmed, we won't say anything for sure. But right now, it looks like Tyler Bertuzzi is on the path to playing for the Red Wings on the road in Canada. How big of an impact does that have on this team? On the trade value, it's huge. No, I'm <laughs> I knew you would start with the trade value. No. But that is a conversation we'll have in a Yeah, second. no, I know. I um, I mentioned that as like a part of my tweet when I sent it out about it. But everybody only read that part. Uh, as as people do, but no, it's huge because the Red Wings' record in Canada this past season was not good, and the Red Wings last year had severe problems with depth. So even losing one player at any spot in the lineup um, generally meant a huge downgrade. But losing your top line left winger was a severe downgrade. So getting Bertuzzi back for the however many games in Canada that legitimately could equal several points in the standings and when you think that based on most models you know superstar players are worth like maybe four to five wins a year Bertuzzi being able to play in Canada might translate to an extra two to three points in the standings by himself which is significant which might not matter you know if projections go as projections go which they won't might not matter so much this year when you're talking the year after and the year after that you have teams who'd pay millions of dollars for two to three points come game 80, 81, 82. Like you're saying, Brad, that that's the difference of playoffs or not. Or, you know, that makes a big impact in terms of where your team finishes once you're tr- start, 
starting to try to compete. The consistency aspect of it too, you know, getting solid line mates, consistent line mates in for guys like Lucas Raymond who are still young. And if that Larkin Bertuzzi Raymond line is what the first line rolls as this year and it sticks, then, you know, you want to keep that for as long as possible. Mind you, this is a different Red Wings roster. It's not like the one last year when Bertuzzi went away, half the team's scoring went away, depending on the game. Um, but still, it, you you don't want a guy missing for that much of the year. That has a that has a big impact. Let's address the uh, the elephant in the room, though. Bertuzzi's in a contract negotiation right now. Bertuzzi has not had easy con- contract negotiations yet uh, with the Red Wings, especially the last two have been notably difficult. And there's a lot of questions about whether or not he is going to stay with his team long-term. And that could be because does the team want to sign him long-term with his injury history? Does he want to stay long-term based on you know how tight Steve Eisman runs the cap? How does this affect those negotiations? Um, I don't want to say hugely, but it's significant because Eiserman's hand could have in a way been forced if he couldn't get maximum trade value for Bertuzzi because, you know, every team has to play Canadian teams. So um, obviously that affects it. And if Bertuzzi couldn't play those games, it would drive down value. So if Eiserman's not getting anything, an offer better than a second round pick and a B-level prospect for Bertuzzi, well, that's not worth trading him. But again, he's such an important asset. You can't let him walk for nothing. So Eiserman would have had to have walked this tightrope of, Do I just take a haircut on a trade or do I overpay him on an extension if his ask is really high? So that that would have put Eisenman in a a very, very tricky spot because, you know, we don't know what's going on here. Bertuzzi could be asking for the moon. He could be asking for something very reasonable. Depending on what he's asking for is going to sway Eisenman one way or the other. If he's asking too much, then the obvious answer is trade him. If he's asking a reasonable amount, the obvious answer is keep him. If before this update, he was asking way too much, like I just mentioned, it put Eisenman in a, between a rock and a hard place, undersell him in a trade or massively overpay him. So I think what this changes here is that now all options can be explored at 100% clarity, if that makes sense. Because now, you know, Eisenman will at least get a sense from what other teams are willing to give up for him, even if he doesn't want to trade him because you have an expiring asset. You you have to gauge the market. It's just responsible, even if it's not something you want to do. So now Eiserman can walk into these negotiations essentially eyes wide open. I think it's also important, like you said, Brad, it gives everything 100% clarity, but it also removes some points of contention in here. That's tough, right? Like, the, the decision Bertuzzi made, and this isn't commentary on the decision, but that is a pretty significant one. He was one of the only ones in the team to be unvaccinated last year, which caused him to not be able to play, or uh, in the league uh, to be unvaccinated last year, which caused him to not be able to play in Canada. And there's no saying how that was received within the organization, but at the end of the day, that was a guy who couldn't play those games. And so if that was coming up as a factor or a point in negotiations, contract negotiations, which have already been emotional and tough and not straightforward with Bertuzzi and the Red Wings, that's a big point of friction. So you have to be happy as a Red Wings fan that that is hopefully now out of the way, depending on the way that U.S. border restrictions go. Um, Still, though, what if the situation was Bertuzzi was asking for a lot and now 
he's thinking, well, I can play all those Canadian games and his ass goes up, right? His, his, his demand or his, uh, his willingness to kind of take a little bit off the top to fit into Eisman's cap structure. And this is all conjecture. You don't know what either Bertuzzi and his agent are saying in the room, nor Eisman or anyone else on the Red Wings who's repping uh, the team are saying in there. But I agree. It's more clear now. There's less mud. Um, but I don't think they're necessarily out of the mud pit. I think this is still a pretty complicated situation, even without the the whole border restriction thing factoring in. Yeah, completely. And there's going to be, when you look to trade them too, there was probably teams that are saying, well, we probably could play Toronto in the first round. It's like, okay, so we'd be getting an asset that can't play potentially three playoff games. Or we play Colorado, uh, play um Edmonton in the first round or we play Calgary in the first round it's it's not just the Canadian teams there's all the perimeter teams that are that are affected by it too so now that that's sort of cleared up um it opens up a lot more suitors for trade but like you guys mentioned as well it also affects the dollar amount in in his contract negotiation I would hazard a guess and say the calls that Eisman probably was already getting about Bertuzzi those are going to pick up between now and December. And if this will be really complicated, if before at this point in December, there's still no contract, but if there's no contract in December, man, Jen, the, the first couple months of the new year are going to be hectic. If you're Steve Eisenman's phone in the office or a cell phone, I, I think teams are going to be calling about Bertuzzi off the hook. The only thing I can see limiting that. And I mean, he's missed a little bit of time here in, in camp. He missed a red and white game today is his back injury. So, if his health is an issue, then that is, that's a complication that kind of drags everything back down into the the realm of uncertainty. But um, I think every option is wide open. I think you're right, Brad. It's going to make things interesting. So un- unfortunately for Red Wings fans, it doesn't move the needle firmly in one direction or the other. It just makes things a little bit more wide open. It removes one complication so we can focus on the three or four other severe yeah. complications. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, so that was uh, that was the update. It, it came later in the game than I thought it would. I, I really thought we'd get an update on the border sooner, but still before the season, so Red Wings fans can somewhat breathe a sigh of relief. Pre-training uh, camp, Steve Eisman did a press conference where, um, I mean, he answered everything in Steve Eisman fashion. At one point, Max had a couple uh, really good questions in a row where he almost cornered him into <laughs> giving people useful information, and Eisman actually started to chuckle when he noticed that, which was funny. Um, so uh, a couple things that Eisman talked about that I want to address is uh, the questions about where Sebastian Coast is going to play next year. You know, there's no commitment from the team yet. They haven't said, yeah, Coast is going to play in the AHL, or we're going to send him to the ECHL or back to the W even. Uh, but what Eisenman did say is it's a priority for them that Kosa gets a lot of reps. They want him playing somewhere where he's going to be the starting goalie quite a bit. They want him playing somewhere where he's not going to rot on the bench or, you know, scratched up in the press box as a potential third goalie or whatever it might be. Uh, they want him to continue to develop and work on his game. Um, as an uh, addition to that, his really strong performance in the prospect tournament uh, they did say that they worked a lot in between his last games and now on his technique and staying more common net. And what have we talked about on this podcast, what he needs to work on his technique being there before the puck and staying common net. So 
you know, putting two and two together, we all saw that. We kind of assumed, but Eisenman confirmed, yeah, they did a lot of work with him in that limited period of time to to just try to get those fundamentals in and work with that talent and athleticism. So it's nice to see the the cause and effect there. But what do you make of uh, what Eisenman said of what they want for Kosa, and how does that make you change or or stay your predictions about where he'll play? I don't think it changes anything. I think we all could have gleaned that, you know, any situation where Kosa goes in and plays 10 games this year is a bad situation for Kosa. Yeah. Whether that's, you know, Detroit, Grand Rapids, or Toledo. Doesn't matter. If he's playing 10 games, it's it's bad for his development. I think it, much like we talked about with Bertuzzi, it at least does clarify some things. Like, it's eliminating an option. So I think we can pretty safely assume... Um, he wouldn't be the starter in Grand Rapids unless something dramatic happens with uh, one of the many other goalies who are the likely starters in Grand Rapids. So Who are Victor Bratstrom, who's pretty well proven in terms of what he can do at that level, and UC Okanora, who is a proven professional as well. Like those are Those aren't guys who are trying to find their game and compete there. They've established themselves as pros who can hang in the AHL. Yeah, so I, th- I think we're down to two reasonable options and a third wild card option. The two likely options here are Toledo and Edmonton of the WHL. I think those are probably the two they're going to look longest and hardest at. Is uh, the question will be are those leagues enough of a challenge for him? Because I mean, Kosa put up a nine fourteen last year in the WHL, and we all everybody generally agrees he was pretty bad last year by his standards and still put up a 914. So how much challenge could junior hockey um, give him right now? Uh, the ECHL is kind of a tough one to gauge because not many goalies have come out of the ECHL to have long successful careers as starters. Uh, the wild card option, send him to Europe. Whoa. I don't think it's a strong likelihood, but if they can't come to a good understanding of what his North American options are, maybe send him to a pro league in Europe that's put desperate the, for a goalie. Put the, put the umlaut over the O. Send, yeah. Send him to the SHL. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't think that's very likely, but given the weird spot he's in in his development right now, I don't think it can entirely be ruled out. But I, I do think it's ultimately going to come down to Toledo or, or Edmonton. I think... I think you're right. Like, who knows? He can come in and maybe what they work on in camp is all really low-hanging fruit. And it it, um, it really brings his game up to a level where he can come in and reasonably get, you know, 30 games in the AHL. I don't know. I don't consider that likely. Um, I would think that Toledo would be better for him than the dub. I think the WHL is is tough for one reason. They're, he's further removed from their system and their development. You know, junior teams have really good relationships with pro teams and they're, there's cause for them to work with them on specific players. It's beneficial to them as an organization, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, the Edmonton Oil Kings or whatever, let's say they trade them, uh, whatever junior team that is, they're incentivized to try to win their league and then the Memorial Cup. That's what they want. So look at what Kosa was able to do with just a little bit of time in and around the Detroit sphere. I think that's, that would give Toledo the leg up over the dub. 
I can see what you're saying, Brad, about Europe. That's the first time I've heard anyone raise that. So, you know, haven't really thought that out completely. So I think wildcard's an appropriate label for it, but it's an interesting one. Kosa's, it's an interesting case. Even if he continues to have a really strong preseason, whatever it might be, that still isn't indicative that he has completely fixed everything he needs to work on, or he's, you know, still a trillion miles away. It's a nuanced prospect and the kind of draft stock they put into a goaltender, it's not really heard of in the modern era for the Red Wings. So I don't think anything will be a perfect solution right off the bat and you can't even call it a, a, a bad solution either. It's it's a big wait and see part. You can always move a goalie in the AHL too, right? Like if he plays well enough to, be, to get a, a decent share of games in the AHL, you move one of the goalies. Like it's... It's not an impossible task. Like, no. If he's ready for that, then that's where he should be, regardless of what the depth chart looks like. You, you move on from someone else because at the end of the day, he is one of the critical pieces in the turnaround for the Detroit Red Wings. And if that's where he needs to be, that's where he needs to be because I don't see a whole lot of juice that can be squeezed out of going back to Edmonton. Um, I can't even. I was trying to think of goalies that have gone back to their junior team and have really exploded. Like, we all know the CHL is not a great place for goalies. They usually just get lit up all the time and they don't really make professional strides until they're out of the CHL. So I find it, I don't think that would be great for him. Uh, Europe, yeah, is a very interesting thing, but taking a 19, 20 year old away from home who's only played in North America, that might be a, a bit of a personal, yeah. like a big life change for someone. Um, I think he could probably handle it, judging by the confidence that he has in himself. Um, but honestly, if, if he, if the team thinks he's ready to play in the HL, you put him there and you, you worry about the other problems later. Yeah. The CHL is essentially just the J drill for 60 minutes. How many like eight goal games are there in the CHL every year. It's mind-boggling. It's insane. It's worth noting, too, that the powerhouse Edmonton Oil Kings that he's played for for the last couple of years will not be a powerhouse anymore. They have lost a lot of their top players just to aging out or to NHL or AHL teams. So you also got to factor that in because Evan's talking about, yeah, not great for goalies. They get lit up. Uh, that might fit the bill very clearly in Edmonton. They could always trade his rights but I know it's a small thing but I keep coming back to it his new gear is red and he's got cat eye in his helmet he's gonna play for the Sioux <laughs> yeah <laughs> like that's why goalies hate breaking in new gear generally speaking so I doubt he would be wasting all of the this valuable time on gear that he's not gonna be able to use for all you Brad haters, this is what he brings to the podcast. This is this is the irreplaceable stuff. Because when Brad brought that up to me, I went, oh, that was a phenomenal point. I never once would have thought of that. So that like Have you seen inflation lately? They can't afford another <laughs> pair of goalie gear. Cost a fortune. I don't even want to think of what that's done to goalie pads. For any parents of kids who are who want to be goalies, my condolences. Yeah. Uh, Huso wears true, Ned wears Vaughn, he couldn't, and Kosa wears Bauer. They couldn't even get a two for one deal. <laughs> but yeah, the cat eye is you can't use it in the CHL. Yeah, it's so, illegal in Canada. So it it looks like he's playing pro. We'll see how it goes. 
Uh, speaking of guys and where they're going to land, uh, obviously Eisman was asked about Edmondson and, you know, he said a lot of the same things. I, I thought how highly he spoke of his game was really interesting. He probably gave him a better shake at making the team than a lot of people, probably myself included, would have after seeing his prospect tournament performance. And it's worth noting, he was good at the prospect tournament. He just didn't dominate. And so I have to take a big old um, pill of my own medicine here when I said don't compare Edvinson to the cider path. You know, we watched cider dominate everyone around him at every level, including today, by the way. He looked fantastic in the red and white game. I think guy just won the Calder, so I shouldn't be surprised. Um, but yeah, Eisenman said, you know, he's got a lot to work on, but he still looked good and he'll have an opportunity to, to win and, uh, or sorry, to win a spot at a camp. So what he's looking for for Edvinson is, you know, real, tangible, genuine minutes that he can sink his teeth into and, and um, grow with. So he wants him playing in a top six role. He doesn't want him as a seventh D man or up in the press box. This is essentially just an analog to Kosa. Um, but yeah, it, it seems like Edmondson has a chance here to to either get lucky with injuries above him or, I mean, I think it was him who hit Hag today with a puck in the red and white game. So that, I mean, kind of a morbid way of, of earning your spot on the team. But um, he has a chance to, to, to win a roster spot, but we know the priority is for him to play a lot of games. Yeah, and, you know, again, strictly speaking on talent... Oh, he's easily a top six defenseman in the organization right now. Like, hands down, no questions about it. But unfortunately, the position of defense, as you would know, it isn't limited to just that. Again, it's one of those things, much like the conversation with Kosa, for me, the biggest thing with Edmondson is going to be reps. I don't want him in Detroit if he's playing 11 minutes a night. He, he needs to adapt. He needs to figure out the North American game. He needs to figure out how to play at North American pace. We know the things he can do. He's not going to surprise anybody coming over here with his puck skills or his poise or any of that. We know that. It's how is he going to do it at a different level, different rank, different speed. And the prospect tournament is not a good gauge of that either. Um, You know, he's still the most talented player on the ice. So of course he's going to look better than everybody around him. Um, so if his options are the number six, seven guy in Detroit, play 75% of the games, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a night, I'd rather him be in Grand Rapids, playing 22 minutes a night, first power play, penalty kill, whatever you want. I feel like he, if even if he is the six, seventh guy, I feel like his talent would make him break down the door. Like, I don't know how long a guy with that skill set can sit on the six, seventh spot with other guys less talented above him getting more minutes. It'd be so hard to... That'd be a very tough ask of your new head coach <laughs> yeah. to, to sort of bury him like that. I, I think I agree with Evan. Not that I disagree with you, Brad. 22 minutes a night in Grand Rapids, I think, in a vacuum, outstanding spot for Edmondson, can only do wonders for his development. But I think if he is eased into a Red Wings role as a sixth defenseman, or, you know, bottom pair... And he gets 11 minutes a night for, let's say, the first third of the season. This is very obviously a guy who is a human being and not a freak of nature like Moritz Sider. Um, needs some time to to get warmed up and has a couple of warts in his game that he needs to fine-tune before he can really break into the, the NHL ranks. But the talent is there now. So I could see that working for him in a way where it's almost sheltering him from like the the, the barrage and 
trial by fire that is coming to the NHL as, as um, a young man like he is, especially a young defenseman. And then once he gets his legs under him and by way of injury or by way of, you know, the Red Wings still have a lot of roster filler on on defense. Yeah, maybe he works his way up. I still think, Brad, you're right. I, th- I think the most preferable scenario objectively for his development is probably Grand Rapids, and that's a pretty safe bet. But I don't see it as detrimental if he forces the issue and the Red Wings have to carry him as a sixth defenseman and they can only squeeze 11 or 13 minutes of time for him a night. What does that matter if by February he's playing 15, 16, 17 minutes in a top four role? So now this is where the context of the actual Red Wings defense becomes very relevant. Is Simon Edmondson going to play with Mo Sider this year? I think we can pretty confidently say no. Probably not unless Ben Schrott's not in the picture because of injury or something. Yeah, something pretty catastrophic would have to happen ahead of him. So then your next option is, is Edmondson playing with Heronic? And as much as I like both of those players that pairing might be a defensive disaster. They're going to get lit up in the game notes. That, that's not what Edvinson needs for his rookie year. So basically what would have to happen uh, in order for Edvinson to get significant minutes is that Mata-Heronic pair is pretty underwhelming and the Edvinson, whoever he's paired with that night pair is outperforming expectations that it's not that they jumble the pairs up it's just that they just start giving that pair more ice time and then Hronik and Mata are playing way less ice time which could happen or you know Mata is seen as a really stabilizing force can flip to the right side comfortably maybe with Detroit and then you stick him with Edmondson and Hronik is either moved down or again this guy is still a trade candidate or maybe Mata is so solid they can stick him with Sider and then Sherratt can play with Edmondson yeah there's options but Ultimately, what this boils down to is Heronic will have to massively disappoint. Yeah. there Something would have to either go wrong or trade for Heronic. Yeah. Um, N- not counting injuries, which are always possible. Yeah. Like Mata goes down and then all options are on the table. It still has to be said, though, Edvinson has to force the issue. I'm holding off all judgment until I see a preseason game with him involved and him playing a decent chunk of minutes. Yeah. Because until then, I think all options are on the table with still Grand Rapids being the most likely for all things we've previously discussed. But he's got the talent to, to, to force the team's hand and give him a roster spot. He was a, like, he's got the talent to do it. So um, until I see him in, a, will say, his first meaningful pro game, um, I, it's a wait and see for me. Uh, two other important notes here. First of all, Eisman gave um, Philip Zadina a big vote of confidence. You know, got the question about him, and he flat out said, like they had, a, he had a conversation with Zadina and told him uh, that he thinks he's doing a lot of the little things, especially right, to be on his way to be a very good NHLer. I knew Brad, you'd love this. He's doing a lot of the little things right to be a very good NHLer, and they're not so concerned about the production because they know it'll come if he keeps focusing on just continuing to improve in those ways uh he mentioned that like you know he their past you know where he was drafted and and the expectations and everything like that and now it's just focusing on continuing to improve his game and he felt like he was doing uh a lot of that already last year and he was well on his way to being a really good pro so that to me was um i don't know i I, that was really nice to see it's not going to be anything groundbreaking everyone's kind of been talking about that that there were games that zadina had that were pretty rough especially when he got really down in the dumps 
I think his game kind of broke down a bit. Um, but, you know, when he was with Verona, or especially early on in the season, or before things really went spiked downwards, he was doing a lot of things right. It was either the finishing ability was letting him down or bad luck or a combination of the two. Um, but it seems like that vote of confidence that follows the contract that they gave him, obviously, uh, is there. And they have high expectations for him and they're, they're looking for him to take that big next step. So it was nice to see. Well, a couple things. First, it's nice that Steve Eisman listens and has been listening to the Winged Wheel podcast for an entire year. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, the Red Wings would be in a lot, a lot worse place if that was the case. No, yeah. And, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, well, Eisenman's just saying that because what else is he going to say, right? But it's interesting that he was specific about that. Like the predict- production will come because he's playing well. And and working, he made a note about his work ethic, which yeah. you know is valuable to him. And, you know, not that we're generally the ones who are ahead of the curve, but we were banging that drum all year. We're like, guys, he's not playing bad. He's just not finishing so it's good to know Eiserman backs that up. But the telling part here is, and we talked about this when the contract was signed, we thought it was weird that this ended in a three-year contract. Yeah. Because this seemed like if I were Philip Zadina, I would have much preferred a shorter-term contract to you know get that production to get a bigger raise sooner. Whereas the only way I could see a three-year deal at that dollar amount is if Eiserman pushed it. Because Eiserman saw the value he could get out of this contract if and when Zadina starts to produce. Like, Zadina's good value right now for exactly what he is as a player right now. And if the production comes, this could be one of the better contracts in the league. So, I don't think these are hollow words from Eiserman just trying to pump up a player who underproduced last year. I, I think he legitimately believes that Zadina had a good year and just... The production wasn't there. Now, a little bit of confidence, some better line mates. I mean, we saw what Zadina did with Verona again today. Yeah. The the formula is there. It just has to happen now. And if there's any guy who needs his GM to come out and say exactly what he said, it's Philip Zadina because oh, yeah. that guy gets down in the dumps on himself very quickly. So to hear those words leave Steve Eiserman's mouth in a public setting on the record is only going to do wonders for him. For those who haven't played, hockey is an extremely mental sport. Like, it's not just goalies. I was, believe it or not, I was a guy who was very much affected by the mental of the game. I knew if I if I went out there and I screwed up. That shocks literally yeah, no one. Yeah, I know. If I went out there and, you know, I choked on defense and a goal went in because of me, and then, you know, coach had a bad day or it was just a bad coaching staff or maybe I was a shit player, I don't know. Um, and... It was just like negativity, negativity, negativity. That that got to me, and I had to really work to get out of those funks. You know, I didn't like blind positivity, but constructive criticism and finding positive parts, uh, uh, po- positive aspects to a player's game go a long way to guys who are really affected by the mental aspect of the game. And we've seen Zadina is. And that's something that'll mature as well as he gets older too, right? Like that's, that's pretty common for young players, especially ones with such high expectations on their shoulders. So... Yeah, you're you're right, Evan. That that's massive to for Steve Eisman to say that. And then last note here, um, uh, some injury notes. Andrew Kopp had abdominal surgery uh, earlier in the summer. Um, Eisman is expecting him to be ready around the first week of the regular season. He probably won't be a participant in the preseason. Shouldn't miss more than a week ish, give or take, of the regular season. But um, 
we'll see where he actually lands on that. So we won't really get a good look at Cop, and he'll probably be a little bit behind the eight ball to start the season. So you'll have to bear with him as he shakes off the rust and recovers from abdominal surgery. Uh, Robbie Fabry, as we know. Um, the robotic man. Yeah, he's... Goodness knows what's holding his knees together at this point, but uh, his recovery is in, is going to take him into the new year before we see him, maybe mid-January, but it's still pretty far out. Uh, Pesic around the same time frame as Fabry, and then Wallman, Jake Wallman, should be ready approximately mid-November. So those are the, the major injury timelines. Uh, Chase Pearson is out um, for undisclosed amount of time due to personal reasons, so hope all is well there. Uh, but those are just the, uh, the injury and absence updates for the Red Wings. Very quick here. Uh, Tigers fans will be happy. Uh, they brought in Scott Harris as the new uh, president of baseball operations, which is the guy who's calling all the shots, the equivalent to Steve Eisman in Detroit. So a lot of really good pedigree to him, young guy. Um, so we'll see how it goes. It's it's a pretty, you know, not out there hire, but there's a lot of expectations on someone who's, you know, in his mid-30s. Um, I say young in that context, but for you, Brad, you're ancient. No, it's very young. Thank you. Brad, we had to pull Brad out of the ground. We had to exhume Brad for this episode of the (laughs) podcast. I mean, after playing my first real hockey game in like four months, I feel like I'm 80 years old today. Um, And Chris Illich released that uh, Steve Eisman was part of the the search and the eventual hire of Scott Harris. So, you know, Detroit runs strong, man. Like that is, it sounds like a Detroit, I, I tweeted this, it sounds like a Detroit sports fan wrote this as fanfic then i'm all for it there is a lot to it you know what's the mentality of being a general manager uh what's the kind of uh, approach you want to take to pro sports in detroit eisman is obviously a very good general manager eisman said that he's picked a harris's brain even before he was hired uh as an executive so there's a lot of crossover there but that's just a cool little tidbit all right, before we get into training camp, uh, I want to let everyone know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce NordVPN. Using NordVPN in a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings it right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using the link nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan, plus four free months. We all have to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted, so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the whole thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, to get your subscription started today. All right, training camp. The big boys. The pro club. We knew Elmer Soderblom, or Soderblom. There's a note on that in a second. I can't believe we're still talking about this, but... There's some uh, name pronunciation updates to come in a little bit. We've heard him say his own name before. Yep. And I have solid intel that he'll take Soderblom or Soderblum. And ask, Which one can I say the most North American way? Ask which he prefers. He actually said Soderblum. 
So it's kind of like. Why half, are you saying it weird? Yeah, it's, you said it kind of like an in between. That's what it is. Are it's you kind at of IKEA right now and you're speaking, <laughs> trying to be Swedish? Maybe say it full Swedish. No, I will not be doing that. You're I the, think I think I did on the Patreon last one. You did, yeah. yeah. But you're very good at it, and I won't do that. Uh, but it is kind of a halfway between. So if you say Soderblom or Soderblom or Soderblom, like anywhere in that range, but apparently he pre- prefers that in between. My God, man! I know, I know. I'm just I'm passing Soderblom. No. Uh, also, Bednash prefers Bednar. This whole time, prefers Bednar. I know. That was my face, too. <laughs> we go out of our way to get it right. <sighs> yeah. This is yeah. why I don't bother. Yeah. I wait and wait and wait. They are now forever Elmer and Jan. <laughs> or is it Jan? At this point, we'll have to double check. Uh, but no, Elmer Soderblom was a force in the prospect tournament and man that clip from the first day of training camp i think it was where he used his body and his puck skills and his absolute dominant puck protection and everything in between to make lindstrom and was it warad yeah essentially I look think. like me and evan out there he's very deceptive as for someone who's the size of two fridges stacked on top of each other I know we've beat it to death and the guy hasn't played one NHL game, but man, yeah, he is so nimble and effective for a dude who was, he's a colossus. He's a freak of nature. Unicorn is the only way you can describe him that even comes remotely close to talking about the kind of player he is for his size. But uh, watching him go out there against pros, granted, you know, it's Lindstrom's not the world's best defenseman, um, but still an NHLer. And Warad is, you know, an AHL level guy, really at best. But still, for him to come into camp and do that, I think Soderblom is destined for Grand Rapids. But I think he's destined for Grand Rapids in a way where they're going to be very, very excited to have him all year. And I think he's going to make a lot of noise over there. Uh, another really kind of interesting immediate training camp standout is Ben Sherratt apparently went in there and you know this is a very competitive red wings roster so I, i'd say on balance of the training camps across the league the red wings are going to have one of the more competitive rough ones um but ben Sherrod apparently went in there and was just an absolute bully like an, a menace a physical force to be reckoned with you know in the boards in front of the net everywhere and that stood out right away and obviously in the heat of it you want to punch the guy in the face. That's what he makes you do. But when the players were, you know, asked about it and were asked to evaluate their new teammate who was doing this, you know, the the consensus seemed to be one, it's awesome, great teammate to have, and it's sorely needed. Because Evan, what did you say a million times last year? The Red Wings were soft as butter in front of their own net. Yep, it was like highlight reel after highlight reel. You could just play the same clip of them getting just totally lost in front of the net. So. For him to come in and show essentially what he was signed for right away, that's a statement. It's a statement from Sherratt, and it's you know really a statement from Eisenman, who brought him in as to what this guy's going to come in and do at camp. So Sherratt's not messing around here, locking himself in on that top pairing, and you know that goes a long way for Cider too. If he's your only protection in front of the net, and he's the only guy who's being remotely physical or whatever it is, he's not known for being a complete hard-nosed player. He'll he'll mix it up when he needs to, but not the way Ben Sherratt does. It frees him up a little bit as well. And Sider's going to have a target on his back this year. Let's be real. 
Calder winner, made a lot of people look stupid last year, punched a lot of people in the face last year. You're happy as a Red Wings fan to have Ben Schrott on the roster next to Cider for more than one reason here. So, you know, not penciling this guy in as a Norris candidate or anything, but promising. Yeah, we've seen the analytics on Schrott and we know they're, well, frankly, bad. But obviously he carries a high reputation around the league. And we talked a bit about why that is and why it's hard to quantify when he signed the contract. But I think we're starting to see a bit of it now because Ben Schrott is not a great puck mover. He's not an offensive threat. So why are you paying a guy that much? Well, if he's playing with Cider, the ideal scenario here is he is what he is, which is just a royal pain in the ass in his own zone. He can eliminate guys off the board. And I think everybody, even his detractors agree, he's good defensively. He'll clear the net. He'll he'll win battles along the boards. He's solid positionally. So for lack of a better word, he can defend But when that puck gets on his stick after he breaks up a play or it's a race to a loose puck or whatever, he's not the ideal guy to be breaking that out of the zone. So Not Kale McCarr. Yeah, so the ideal solution to a lot of Red Wings breakouts this year will be, again, to just put it simply, Schrock cleans up the garbage in the D zone, gets the puck to Cider, lets him run the breakout. Analytically, statistically, that will not show up well, or that won't show anything on Sherratt's uh, analytics stats, whatever you want to call it. But if he's able to do that effectively and let Mo be Mo, that's a huge positive because Mo did what he did last year, carrying around a boat anchor. So if Sherratt can actually prove to be valuable to the improvement of Mo Sider. That could be a phenomenal D pairing. Again, it's still tough because the way the game of hockey is, a lot of the times when he breaks up a play, unfortunately, he's going to be the one that's going to have the puck on his stick. And if Moe's not in a position to receive it, well, Schrott has to run the breakout and there will be some adventures with that. But bungling a breakout is better than blowing coverage or losing a battle in front of your own net. Because if you lose a battle or blow coverage in front of your own net, that's in the net more often than not. If you bungle a breakout, yeah, you're gassing everybody on the ice and it's going to create further chances, but that one doesn't immediately end up in your net. Let Mo be Mo is a great tagline for exactly why they brought in Sherratt. It's big, like, let Mo cook energy. Uh, some other notes. Uh, there was that one drill, obviously, that was going around, and it was uh, Raymond against Larkin, that basically one-on-one drill. And I thought this was awesome in the epitome of who the Red Wings are right now. Raymond up against Larkin. Raymond essentially out-hustling Larkin, outworking him. It was a tough battle, and uh, Raymond, you know, took the puck from him, outworked him, and had a clear chance for the goalie on a, on a one on o and, and finished. Amazing display by Raymond. This is a guy who obviously was working on that part of his game all season and in the offseason. And for Larkin, he was frustrated. He was visibly pissed off after. That's the captain of the team. And that's a guy who was Raymond's line mate for all of last year. This is a team where everyone is pushing them, pushing each other to be better as a team. So I thought that was, but that was awesome. Just like as an overall vibe to know that even though it's training camp and it's day one or whatever it was, uh, Larkin is still fired up and pissed and Raymond is already displaying why he was, 
you know, in the college of conversation last year. What I took from that story is Larkin lost puck battle to Tiny Child and threw temper tantrum, not Captain Material. <laughs> Brad, <laughs> should have signed that contract before he stepped on the ice that day because the dollars just went down. Brad, you know there will people who cannot. There will be people who cannot understand nuance, and you you sowed what is going to come to you now. No, I saw replies to some of these tweets where people were legitimately criticizing Larkin. <laughs> so I am just parodying them to you know, point out the idiocy. Um, the Red Wings are going to run with four alternate captains this year. That's interesting. Two at home, two on the road. I think that makes sense. New coach wants to know the team. It's really a new team. You want to see how it settles in. You don't really want to boil it down and make those selections too early, right? Yeah, well, we go from last year where the Red Wings basically had one, maybe two actual assist, alternate assistant, whatever you want to call it, captains, uh, candidates to now having four four and I, me think some of the new guys are immediately getting letters because there were not five holdovers uh, four holdovers from last year who would be getting letters this year Sherratt, Perron, uh, not holdovers yeah but yeah. oh you mean new guys as in the new signings yeah so yeah. Sherratt, Perron I think they'd be in the running, Cops probably in the running because right. the only holdovers from the wings last year that I think would probably get a serious look at a letter this year would be Sider and Bertuzzi and Bertuzzi, I think, uh, unfair as it is to him, I think his contract situation is going to play into that because they're not yeah. going to give an A to a guy if they're pretty confident he's not coming back. So that is super, super interesting to me. Cider has to get one eventually, right? Even if it's not right now. Honestly, of everybody on this team, Cider's the should be like assistant captain number one if you want to label it. Like this is Larkin's team and then behind Larkin, this is Moe's team. Yeah. And then it's everybody else. Just want to make a note of Jonathan Bergeron and what he's done. Like he has a long path in front of him to being able to make this team and you don't want to rule him out right away, but uh, there are quite a few NHL level guys who are established in front of him where it's another year in Grand Rapids wouldn't hurt. But, you know, Eisman made a note of this as well and we've we've talked about it before. He had a fantastic season in Grand Rapids, both in terms of production and how he developed his personal game. So I think it's really, it's good to see him have a good showing uh, in training camp and, and in the preseason. So I hope he continues to do that and I hope he makes the conversation interesting and I wouldn't be surprised if he does. It's not just Soderblom who's um, who's going to make it interesting for Detroit. I think Bergen's in there and people are kind of, us included, uh, forgetting about that a little bit. Well, I would think Bergeron's ahead of Soderblom at this point because Bergeron has a good season in North America under his belt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he's also older. Yeah. Um, with Simon Edmondson, you know, hearing him talk to reporters and and uh, you know, ask about asked about his game, he's been really honest about his game. He's been the first to criticize himself, but not in a way where it's not productive. Like he knows where the flaws are in his game. And he knows where he has to get better. What have you said, Brad, quite a bit? You know, Simon Edmondson sometimes looks like he's just kind of floating out there. And sometimes he looks like he's tuned to 120. And you need him to be a ha- like have a more measured approach to the game and have a little bit better risk assessment. That's kind of exactly what he said about his own game. He knows that he can't take any shift off or even appear to be at the NHL level. Otherwise, he's going to get burned. So it's a very mature approach, especially for a guy who's a year younger than Cider, you know, at this point in his career. Um, I don't know. It was refreshing to see. 
Yeah, it's always good when at least at most hockey players are self-aware, but it's good when you can be that self-aware at that age. And uh, Michael Rasmussen, I think we might still see Michael Rasmussen play some center this year. Please, God, no. It it looks like, so Derek Lalonde acknowledged Rasmussen has better production on the wing, but I think they're kind of trying all things out. They did things like move Raymond uh, down uh, on another line to give Zadina a look with Larkin and they had a lot of different line configurations. Nothing at training camp should be taken as an indication of what's actually going to happen in the season. Uh, but you did see Rasmussen center some lines. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see them try that out again with some different different configurations. And hey, if if Cop is out for any extended period of time, even into the season, that might be option one for them. The Red Wings, when fully healthy, have four centers who are clearly better at center than Michael Rasmussen. Now, the cop wrinkle does mean that someone who shouldn't be a center for the Detroit Red Wings is going to have to be a center for the Detroit Red Wings, and Rasmussen, probably rightly so, should be at the top of the next man up list, but... And I... (laughs) The proof is in the pudding. We've seen it. He's not an NHL center, but he is a good NHL winger. Like, it's... It was pretty clear this past season, unless he's dramatically changed something with his game. I think, you know, a stronger version of Michael Rasmussen, which is, you wouldn't really have to guess too too crazy to understand that that's probably what he worked on over the offseason, might make some strides in terms of how he can play center. But yeah, I, I have to agree. You saw what he did in the second half of the season playing wing. Unless you absolutely need to move him to the middle, keep him there. Like, he's not just an okay or a sufficient NHL winger. I think he's a good bottom six NHL winger. I think he can make a a big impact in his game. It seems to be improving on that front. That's when we saw movement and steps in Michael Rasmussen's game. All of that said, I will concede Derek Lalone is new to this team. This team is new to this team with all the different players who mixed in. You have to try everything. Yes, I am advocating for the patented Blashill blunder for lines, but that's kind of what you have to do when you don't know the team's chemistry and how people will land on this roster playing with each other, etc. So if for a little bit you try Michael Rasmussen out at center just to see, you can't fault anyone for that. I think you have to. I just hope that we don't get into a trying to force the issue part of it again because I think we've seen enough from, from Michael Rasmussen to know, unless he, he he proves everyone wrong, and it's certainly possible, unless he pl- proves everyone wrong and he comes out this year and is an absolute force at center, I'll concede, I'll have egg on my face, and I'll be the first to admit it. But from what we've seen so far, this is a guy who thrives at wing, and you actually unlock the most from his game if he's playing with a half-decent def- center on the wing. Michael Rasmussen's biggest problem as a center has nothing to do with his tools or strength he doesn't process the game mentally well enough to be able to handle everything a center is responsible for that's my issue with it I don't care how fast or strong he is look at Ryan O'Reilly the guy skates through mud and he's one of the best centers in the league because he can outthink everybody around him Rasmussen can't has never shown that even in junior he didn't show that he just got by because he was bigger stronger and more skilled than everybody around him So I think simplifying the game for him on wing is what unlocked him because we know we've known this whole time what he's good at and he, we know he improved his skating. So every way Michael Rasmussen was succeeding in the second half of the season didn't surprise anybody. He wasn't 
breaking out any new skills. He wasn't showing anything new that he learned or developed. He was just allowed to focus on less things and it worked phenomenally for him. Um, some other notes in terms of injuries, we didn't see, uh, Sunkfist out day to day. Uh, we didn't see Valeno today because of, um, it was essentially a maintenance day. He had a lower body thing. According to Max Boltman said, uh, he probably could have played, but they wanted to be cautious. The only one that I think is worth noting here is Tyler Bertuzzi is apparently dealing with a flare up. That's all it's been called. And I essentially just want every other NHL GM to ignore that. Don't pay attention to it. It's nothing. But for a guy who had back surgery um, a season or so ago, you want to ignore or you want to not see the words flare up or re-aggravated or anything else like that as much as possible because that is concerning for the long-term um, aspect of his career. So in Red Wings fans don't need to be told that with how Henrik Zetterberg retired. So hopefully it's nothing and hopefully it's just a lot of precaution. Uh, but that is one that I am keeping a close eye on with Bertuzzi. Not that I have any personal knowledge of it, but back injuries suck <laughs> a lot. Folks, you are uh, listening to the proud new owner of a herniated disc. Not new. I've uh, newly diagnosed. I've been dealing with it for two months. New to you. New to me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> new news to me. I have to actually ask you what that's like because a couple times, anyways, I, I've had some very mundane movements have uh, some very unnatural pain recently. So I Is wonder. it constant? No. You're fine. Oh, sweet. Ah, perfect. Yeah. Back to what you were not doing. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Um, and then in, in terms of overall structure, I mean, we've talked about Derek Lalone. If anyone is telling you that this is going to be the greatest coach in the world or the opposite end of the spectrum, the worst coach in the world based on a few days at training camp, they are liars and they're extrapolating from absolutely nothing. Um, there's no way to tell how Derek Lalone is going to do from the training camp. But what I will say is it's been really refreshing to hear Derek Lalone talk in um, interviews. Eisenman's not kidding. This guy connects with people really well, and that's not just players. It's the press. It's the fans. Um, it's everyone. His Obviously, you'd have to assume his peers as well and his, his staff. But the way he articulates and the way he conveys his thinking, it's really refreshing. Uh, I think we see a lot of really good insight, and it's basically just what we've talked about all episode, which is he's just getting a feel for what this team is right now. He's making them play with pace. He's making them play a fast game, a hard nose game, and they're focusing on fundamentals. Like team defense has been a big push. And for any Red Wings fans who watch any game last season, you know that it has to be team defense as a solution to this team's defensive woes. They have the talent offensively, both as a unit and with individual players. And they they only added on that front this year. But in order to really give their goalies the best chance possible, and in order for them to not get shelled, with eight, nine, ten goals, team defense has to be the solution. So that's been a, a big priority for him in camp so far. Don't know why anybody would think that. Think what? That defense should be a priority. Oh, yeah. It was fine. It's all fine. No problems there. <laughs> Go back to the CHL. <laughs> nine, eight games. I can, dude, my heart cannot take more 12 goals against. I, I No, thank you. That's enough for me. They never gave up 12 against. It was 11. <laughs> Ah, well, we're fine. We're all good. Um, there were points, especially in the red and white game, where, I mean, it's an intra-squad scrimmage. It looked a little bit cluttered, um, but you saw them working through it, and especially in their own zone at the breakouts. So it'll all come for preseason. I am, I imagine the preseason is going to be messy, too. I imagine the first 20 games of the season are going to be messy. 
let's talk about what I think was the biggest story of camp today and one that people are really going to be focused on, focusing on heading into the preseason. You know, we talked a lot earlier this episode about Philip Zadina and what he needs to do. Man, he was lights out. He had a strong showing, you know, in just in regular camp and in the red and white game, he was making plays left and right. And whether it was like a simple find the trailing man in the slot behind him with like a, a not overly fancy, but still really nice pass where it looks like he has eyes on the back of his head to Verona. And that was a one-timer that beat Kosa or splitting the defense inside out to set up the scoring chance or cross slot feed again to Verona for a one-time opportunity. Zudina was everywhere and he looked extremely impressive. I have to imagine at least some of that is the confidence from the contract and whatever conversation he's been having with the coaching staff. But a lot of that is probably a display from just playing with more competent, better teammates, right? Uh, a little bit of that, and possibly for the first time in his career, he was able to unlock himself by playing against the Detroit Red Wings. Which <laughs> Not everyone gets the opportunity to do. Yeah, but um, again, I, I we kind of talked about this with Rasmussen, and it applies to Zadina. He didn't do anything new. This is all stuff we've seen Zadina do before in the NHL against better competition with more intensity. We know what his issues are, and if he's playing with confidence like he did today, this is what it should look like. This is what Philip Zina can be. I don't think it's realistic to expect this every game, every night, full season Philip Zadina, but more often than not, this is what Philip Zadina can and should be. And part of that might just be a continuation of the obvious chemistry we've seen him have with uh, Jacob Vrana. So, you know, we were talking about line combinations and like how Cop, Perron, Vrana should obviously be the second line. But then we also said, well, what about the Zadina factor? And this could be that. This could open up options. So, you know, no definitive answers from one scrimmage, uh, especially against your own team where guys aren't trying to kill each other. But yeah, this. This is the best Philip Zadina we've seen, so let's hope it translates to more consistent, more consistency. If I also think it's going to go a long way into winning him a spot with better line mates. I don't really know what that looks like so far. Like there are still injuries, and there are are still like who's going to actually make this team? Is Bergeron going to um, impress so much? Like as he, I think he has been impressive so far. Where he's going to crack the lineup? There's there's so many questions, so you can't definitively say, but. If they can find a way to get Zadina in with Verona, or even let's get crazy with it, Larkin, like Lalone might not be married to the Bertuzzi Larkin Raymond line, right? So if he's showing this now, this could snowball for him in a really, really big way. It might be worth asking, and I'm super proud of us for not using this as an excuse for a lot of things this summer and and being respectful human beings, but I'm gonna ask it now because I think it might be relevant. Is this Philip Zadina away from Jeff Blashill? Look, we've we, heard the rumors they didn't have a great relationship, and we've heard the rumors yeah. that Zadina walked around on eggshells, afraid to make mistakes with Blashill. Is this Lalonde just freeing him up and giving him a fresh start, and Zadina realizing, hey, I don't have the same problems I did before? 
we didn't talk about it for the obvious reasons because the, the conversation was almost pointless because there's no way of knowing until you see what happens in the next year. But yeah, I mean, what did we talk about earlier? Like Zadina is very obviously a, a player who's affected by the mental aspect of the game. And if that was coming from a sense of mistrust or, or not gelling with the coaching staff, then yeah. But I don't think that's crazy and I don't think that's an inappropriate conversation to have. And some people might say, well, that's just as much on Zadina. And yeah, sure, maybe. But in general, in hockey, if you have a player worth keeping, you move on from the coach first. They didn't get rid of Jeff Blashill because of Philip Zadina, so don't extrapolate that. It was a complicated issue. Um, but I think you're right to bring it up, Brad. Like This might be Zadina. This is that, you know, quote-unquote fresh start that people talk about with players where it could serve them really well. And frankly, it needs to be this way for Zadina because if it's known that he didn't exactly get along with Jeff Blashill really well, and then Steve Eisenman went out and brought in a coach who notoriously connects with players really well, then the end result has to be a better version of Zadina. Otherwise, the next step for the team is to move on from him. So I think that's a great point, and I think it's something that uh, if you see a, a, a leveled-up Zadina, that's probably a massive factor, uncomfortable though it may be. All right, uh, the preseason's to come. So there will be more to draw from that. But for now, let's jump into the rest of the NHL and let's jump into a storyline that um, was uh, pretty big in the world of, uh, you know, what's Toronto. And so they think they're the center of the hockey universe, but it genuinely it did make uh, waves across the NHL. And that's Kyle Dubas was not offered a contract extension coming into the last year of his deal as GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So Brendan Shanahan told, Brendan Shanahan told him as much. And uh, Kyle Dubas is future with the Leafs is going to hinge on the performance of Toronto this season. Pretty big. Yeah. On one hand, it makes a lot of sense because, you know, you're in a pressure-packed market like Toronto. Any Canadian team really. He's got nothing to show for what he's built in the past four to five years. And I'm not going to sit here and dump on Kyle Dubas. I actually really like the way he's he's approached this from a team-building perspective, and he's acquired a ton of top-end talent. Some of it, you know, luck, some of it not. And he's managed the cap well, and the team just hasn't performed in the biggest moments because how many Game 7s have they lost under them, and how does that narrative change if they win even one of those, right? Um, but you have nothing to show for it, so why would you have earned an extension at that point? But at the other on the other side, go through the Canadian hockey teams right now. Pierre Dorian, Kevin Sheveldayoff, Brad Tree Living, um, you know, all Canadian GMs who have a longer track record of not accomplishing the goal with their respect in their respective markets. So, you know, on one hand, it's very fair to do, but on another hand, it does seem a little rushed compared to some of his peers. But, you know, it. He's in Toronto. He's That's in the Toronto. one difference between them all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, it's time to put up or shut up. And, you know, again, I don't think it's on him. Toronto has a roster that should compete for the cup every year. They do. And, you know, they've had some bad luck because they ran into Tampa in the first round of the playoffs last year. With how good they are in a normal playoff setup, they're not playing Tampa in the first round. They've run into Boston, who's been a very good team a couple times. The only two inexcus- like truly inexcusable ones were the Columbus and Montreal series. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could have all my opinions I I want about how to build a roster, but if that roster is consistently losing, oh yeah, time for a new approach. You know what's going to happen? They are going to get bounced. Let's say the second round. They're going to lose in five in the second round. They're going to move on from Dubas, maybe even Shanahan. 
They're going to bring in probably comp people as competent. And then by year two, those guys are going to win the cup. Well, Peter Shirelli, come back. <laughs> please. In please. my bones. I want that. Um, but that's how it goes. I, I think not to say Dubis is, uh, you know, a martyr here, or I, I don't think he's faultless. I mean, he's coming into his job on the line and he's resting those, uh, basically that contract, the future contract on Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov in that. So, I mean, I, I tend to think he only has himself to blame, but at the end of the day, GM's a long-term game. This is a Tampa Bay roster that we've seen in the league make three straight cup finals, win two of them. And Steve Eisenman's a big architect, a big factor in, in terms of those teams, not the only one, but a huge one. He wasn't celebrating with them. He was in Detroit by the time they, they won. So that's kind of the name of the game, but that's not new. And like you said, Evan, it's Toronto. That's what you signed up for. You are in the inferno. Absolutely. There's the only expect. I mean, they should have no expectations because they're a bunch of losers. But um, when you have Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, the expectation is you need to win at least a playoff round. So if you haven't done that in your tenure at this point, what being the Leafs GM, it's uh, yeah, the the guillotine is is now set up. Guillotine. What did I say? You said guillotine. Is that what I meant? Guillotine. I'm not having a pronunciation. <laughs> I'm going to start calling it ketchup. Okay. All right. Let's I'm not, not get I'm not get, Don't make... I, I will poke. No. I'll poke this we're foam. Not, we're not poking. There's I'll no poke poking. I'll poke the foam. <laughs> Brad, I, Brad, I honestly think I'm ready for children. I, re- <laughs> I really do. I think we're getting all the practice we need here. I haven't, I haven't shit my pants yet. Would you like me to do that? You haven't? Here. <laughs> that word yet was concerning. Yeah, but fair. Uh, Nathan McKinnon becomes the highest paid player in the NHL for now. Eight year, $12.6 million contract with Colorado. Uh, $100.8 million. Massive step up from his $6.3 million colossal underpay previous uh, contract that he was on. It all evens out, I suppose. <laughs> I still think 12.6 is, is a bit, not very, but I think it's still a bit team-friendly considering the value he brings to the team. The part about this that blew my mind is that he still has one more year to play at that six-point-whatever-million. It Pound for pound, it's got to be the one of the best value contracts in the modern era of the NHL based on what he's doing right now. Yeah, uh, one of the best players in the league, fresh off a of Stanley Cup, and they paid him all the money yeah it it all makes sense there's not a lot to overthink here i know a lot of people were saying oh at the time of signing like the 6.3 was uh a risk for colorado it never was it was an underpay from the start and with the amount of money he he like the length and the amount of money that he signed for it was a favor to the team he always said he's like i don't really care about how much i make that's very obviously changed now and for someone who doesn't like to see teams have favors done for them good and you have to think the NHLPA is relieved because that must have, like one of the best players on the planet taking a massive pay cut like that must have just pissed off so many other NHLers looking looking for big deals. So 12.6, nearly doubled his earnings. I, I think the 6.3 and what he did for Colorado under that deal and what he'll continue to do is more valuable than um, Tavares was on a, like a five point something contract for a long time with the Islanders. If you remember that, like that was a massive steal for them. Then he got overpaid by... By Toronto. It all works out in the end. 
How long is it going to be? Austin Matthews is looking at the looking at that deal and licking his lips. Like that is going to be a. I think Matthews will be the next one to to probably crack that uh, that number. Oh, Matthews with a couple more years under his belt, he's getting. 14, 15 easy. He'll be asking. I You'd have to think he'll be asking for like 14 and a half. Well, with the cost of what Arizona tickets cost, <laughs> he'll need he it. should be getting that kind of money. <laughs> My God. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to make waves. I'm curious to see how this impacts the mega signings. It's not often we get a $100 million contract. but That's you, like playing two years in the NFL. Pretty much, yeah. That's like a backup safety or something. Yeah. The economics across the leagues are hysterical. Um. Okay. So we have Dubis, we have McKinnon, some big retirements. P.K. Subban and Zdeno Chara have both retired. I will not accept this Keith Yandel erasure. I was going to say there were some other minor ones with Keith Yandel, but I guess not so minor. He played a long time. The NHL's all-time Iron Man. Yeah. Put some respect on his name. Just kidding. He's been terrible for years now. Anyways, nobody's surprised by Chara. I mean, he's one of the best defensemen of the era, if not counting the longevity, the best. Um so, you know, it obviously sucks to see him go because we talk about Elmer Soderblom as a unicorn. Chara was the first true unicorn in that sense. Um, but it was expected. Subban, I think, was the surprise. I he, was not prepared for that one. He had a bit of a bounce back year last year. Like, he's obviously not the player he used to be. Injuries have caught up with him. Age has caught up with him. He's not that old. But um, I thought he'd find a home home somewhere running a team's second power play chipping in some offense you know bringing some intensity you know i thought he might have made some sense on detroit's right side um but i guess he didn't like the offers that were out there um he has new media agreements with the nhl he's going to be producing some content some shows yeah he'll be on one of the major broadcasts soon enough as well yeah oh yeah he's he's not financially worried here um I just thought he'd, yeah, take a couple more kicks at the can, maybe try for a cup, maybe see if he can, you know, milk a couple extra years out of a basement feeder just to keep playing. But yeah, I mean, Subban is the type of guy who doesn't define himself as a hockey player. He'll still be involved in the hockey world and he'll still probably be, you know, very, very visible in the hockey world. So if that's what he wants to do, good on him. Why wait? All right. Let's jump into the overtime segment. Overtime on the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our, our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club, uh, what you get from that is access to the Patreon exclusive overtime. So yes, we have some overtime questions we take on the main show, but we take every uh, every question asked and answer them on a, a Patreon exclusive episode that's recorded right after this. They're a lot of fun, a little bit more loose. We let Evan swear. Um, you also have access to the winged wheel podcast discord, which is always a blast, uh, a little bit wild in there and, uh, any, uh, bonus content we put out. So over the off season, once a week, we put out some kind of a Patreon exclusive episode. Generally, there's still more of that to come. There's a lot of different benefits and most importantly, it helps us keep the show going, uh, make improvements to the show as you might be able to see. And, uh, a, Actually, right now we're giving away preseason tickets. So we just gave away tickets to the Chicago game. There are going to be uh, tickets being given away for future games. Uh, Another benefit is we're giving away two tickets to every single Red Wings game this season. And most of those games are allocated exclusively for patrons. Plus, any ones that are uh, open for, you know, Twitter giveaways or whatever it is, patrons can double dip. They're automatically entered and they can enter on Twitter. So 
a lot of benefits and it really, really means the world to us when our patrons support us. So patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast. Let's take a question here from Poyo says, uh, Hey boys, what boxes need to be checked for a prospect to have a good training camp, so to speak, and make the opening night roster? Also, have you ever thought about attending training camp? Yeah, that was actually our plan this year. Um, scheduling got in the way, but hopefully as things are planned out further in advance in a post-COVID NHL, uh, we will be attending. So yes, apologies we couldn't be there this time, but in future you should see coverage from us. So what makes a good training camp uh, to make the opening night roster? In training camp, it's honestly not a lot. Just make sure your effort level and your conditioning is at least good compared to the guys who have been there done that um you know you're competing in every drill you're not giving up i don't think the talent factor really comes in until you start getting in game action because it's you know you can be the fastest skater in the world the best puck handler in the world but if you have no hockey iq it doesn't matter right you're going to look great in practice and awful in games um and other guys, it's the inverse. You know, I always like using the Ryan O'Reilly. Every drill, he's going to look exceptionally slow, but then you get him on in a game setting, and it's night and day. So, from a training camp, I think that's where you're looking at all the intangibles, and then game settings is where you're looking for the tangibles. Yeah, I have to agree. I think preseason is where it's made. That's where Raymond really earned his spot. Honestly, it starts with with training camp, but yeah, preseason. Um, Wildcat Dallas Drake says, I never played beyond pond hockey with friends, so no one taught me anything about how to actually play. I've heard you mention the top hand on a stick being the dominant hand. Heard uh, on another show that some places teach it differently, although uh, they stated that the top hand should be the dominant hand as well. It seems to me like there should be a right and a wrong way. Is there a varied technique in the NHL? Nope. It's entirely preference because I'm one of the ones who goes against the grain i'm dominant hand on the bottom which then would lead you to think i'm a horrible puck handler but that's actually probably a strength of my game personally so um it's all preference you you adapt to whatever feels comfortable it's more so fascinating statistics because statistically in canada more players shoot left because the dominant hand does generally go on top it's like a 60 40 split though it's not super um uh, it's not like a super difference um and in the states it's the inverse um more people are right-handed because you know you just hear the word right-handed and you assume just buy a right-handed stick where it happens more organically in canada so that that's a bit fascinating but in terms of what's more common yes top uh dominant hand on top but does that make it any better or worse no it does not okay uh, Linda Hull says, I really enjoyed the wings behind the mask segments, uh, explaining the details of Ned and Husso's masks it made me realize how much I enjoy seeing the goalies personalities come through. Uh, do you think the league would ever allow the rest of players to showcase themselves? What would you like to see? Thanks guys. Um, eventually they will, they'll have to, cause that's what people want. Will they be quick to do it? No, but legitimately anything where they can showcase themselves and, and who they are. I, I mean, granted, think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of what actually comes to public light because of uh hockey players and what they do off the ice it's not always the best stuff but in general when people are like oh this is the most boring player in the world you know what it's because they get tarred and feathered in the media quite a bit uh from hockey fans and and whoever it is just by saying anything 
really of substance about a game. Like you were rewarded for having the Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby answer. Oh, you know, just uh, got to grind in the corners and uh, get pucks in deep. Like that's what you hear forever because that's what's rewarded. So if you find alternate ways for guys to to kind of come out and show themselves, like everyone knows about Joe Thornton and um, Brent Burns and like their freaking petting zoos that they have. Like that's just fun stuff that you can do. I think Marino as well as another guy who's shown quite a bit of personality and like who he actually is as a person. It doesn't necessarily have to be on ice stuff, but you know, we've talked to Ned on the show, really cool guy. So, like someone you would actually hang out with, grab a drink with like really cool dude. Just whatever content can show who they are off the ice is probably a great place to start. Cause goodness knows we don't know how to showcase them as pro hockey players and make that interesting. Anyways, that's my rant. Uh, Bertuzzi's lost tooth says, when are we going to go back to two episodes a week now? Thank you for asking. The off season is over. We are officially back to two weeks. Slim Pickens says I joined up, uh, joined back up during the summer for the extra episodes and the double overtimes. Thanks for the in, uh, insole recommendation. Super feet are saving my feet. Hey, nice bread. It's almost like I know what I'm doing. In the red and white game, also thank you for the support. It says, in the red and white game, the captain's letters have moved back to the left side of the jerseys. This is an ominous sign. I can only hope it's a good ad. Ads are all shit, but I'd uh, be less upset with, uh, you know, names a few companies here. Um, how do I learn to stop worrying and love the ads? Remain untainted, coagulated milk bags. Yeah, I noticed that the letters move back to the side over the tip of the wing and you don't know for certain, nothing's been announced, but you have to imagine that's to make room for an eventual jersey sponsor. How about this? We'll crowdfund, we'll win the bid, and we won't put anything on the jersey. I'm all for it. I'm unfortunately under the impression that it is a you know, multi-million dollar investment. So that's quite a big crowdfund. There's at least a dozen of, a dozen of us. So you put in, let's say, you put in $5 million. Brad and I each chip in I have 20 bucks. $3 in my cup holder in my car. That's a oh, start. Oh, big man. Sorry, you, you're telling me your cup holder has money in it and you parked in Kitchener? Yes. <laughs> we'll move. Hold on. This my is... windows are tinted, thank God. <laughs> no, no, I got to take the opportunity. This is the first time I ever get to Big League, big league Evan, because I have at least $6 in my cup holder right now. Yeah, we went to the bakery the other day. <laughs> it was a real. My, my change has has gone down quite a bit. Uh, Evan's amazing hairdo. <laughs> wow, thank you. Is this you? No, oh God, no. Says, that comment's way too long for it to be me. <laughs> Evan, how's your hair doing today? Wait, what's wrong with my hair? How would he know? How would this person know? You know that... <laughs> Evan, how... <laughs> I don't... No, I was there some sort of reference to my hair in a previous episode? I don't know, man. Uh, now for the actual hockey question, looking at the league, who are the easy teams now in the, uh, oh shoot teams and how do you think the Red Wings could do against them? So I'm, I'm going to say the easy teams in the powerhouses. I don't know what Philly's going to be like, but that team could be quite bad. Uh, Couturier and Ellis out for the year. Doesn't bode well. Uh, Arizona probably going to be awful. Chicago. You don't really lose the players that you lose out of Chicago and get better. And Patrick Kane still might be traded. Um, Montreal. Yeah. And the powerhouses, I, I don't think, are terribly different than last year. Until something changes, it looks like it's going to be exactly the same. Colorado, Tampa Bay, 
Edmonton, maybe Calgary, probably Florida. Florida is the most prime to take a step back. We'll see how they do. I'm sure Toronto is going to be a beast in the regular season again, like they were last year. Even if they get bad goaltending, they got bad goaltending last year and they were very good. So could be a lot of different things. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Michigan strong on Reddit. We had time for a Reddit question or two here says, uh, do you think will they'll announce the leadership group prior to the start of the regular season or do we have to just wait and see opening night? Uh, gotta assume we'll get a pretty strong hint at least during preseason. Yeah. It's, it might not be until like right before the first game. Um, but yeah, in general, I think we'll know at some point close enough. Uh, and then background junket 35 says, who are you looking forward to seeing? They said training camp, but let's say preseason games the most. Just to answer some questions, Edvinson. That's a good one. I'm going to give two players here, Bergeron and Zadina. I want to see how much noise Bergeron can make. And I want to see, I'm fully ready for the Zadina redemption tour. So I want to see how he does in, in game situations as well. Elmer, since I'm not saying his last name anymore. That's fair. Okay, folks, uh, that's training camp. There is going to be a lot of movement in terms of Red Wings roster, how preseason games go. So it is a good time for us to come back to two episodes a week. Uh, we will be doing so. You'll have a midweek episode uh, this week, of course. Um, and we're also going to start our divisional previews. So we're going to cover each division. We're going to do a Red Wing season preview. We are geared up, ready for the hockey season. So uh, if you haven't already and you're interested, patreon.com slash podcast to support the show. I'd like to thank all of our listeners, sponsors of this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast, NordVPN. Uh, anyone who's tuned into the show, new and old, welcome or thank you for coming back. Not sure why you do. And of course, uh, our name level supporters on Patreon. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefur, the Stay Fresh Cheese Bag, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan Hand has been in a slam of Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, Ben Hurd, Brandon M., Carl Brutina Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris Ball, new name level sponsor. Welcome and thank you so much. Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, uh, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hassam Al-Kassem, I tried so hard and got so far, but in the end, it doesn't even, as there's a drive into deep left field by Castellanos, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, the podcasting couch, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog is a Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W., Evan's Amazing Hairdo, Philip Zadiz Nuts. That was, I'm never prepared for that one. Griffey Boy, in a vacuum, it's fine, and I'm Evan. In the UK, it's Ryan Anna, in it, bruv. James Laporte, Jeremiah Tobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull. Uh, thank you for joining the name level sponsors. Logan Burgos. Welcome to the name level sponsors, Matt S., Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Reed, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna's good doppelganger, Thick Rick. Thank you all so very much. We'll see you midweek. Welcome back. Welcome back.
Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.